I am Danika. And I am Myra. And this is the Black Women Healing Podcast. A space to discuss mental wellness. A space to dive into soul care and vulnerability. Here, we will support you on your journey as you focus on your healing. While also giving you the work along the way. Welcome to Black Women Healing Podcast. Y'all, it's official. We are an Amazon affiliate. And it's only right because I let till book is offered on Amazon. If you haven't already checked it out, go ahead and click the link in our description and check it out. Help us support you while we support us, while we all support each other, if you know what I'm saying. All right, y'all, check it out. Hey, y'all, welcome back to another episode of Black Women Healing Podcast, and we have a special guest today. Uh, Before we get started, you know, we like to do a random little topic. Um, So going off the top of the dome, random topic is, um, what, what is your favorite thing to do to... What is your okay? This is a good one. Okay, what is your favorite food to eat with loved ones or just people that you care about? Yeah, like what's your favorite type of food to eat with some someone else? Hmm, I feel like we talked about this on our last episode, kind of, but not really. Uh, I would say my favorite thing would probably be macaroni, macaroni and something. Hmm, I love, and it has to be like a particular type of macaroni what's particular (laughs) like it has to be like a roux has to be made for it like have you ever had a macaroni that's made like with the roux Mm -hmm. I feel like that macaroni is completely different from just sprinkling some cheese on top so it has to be a particular type of macaroni that is definitely something I enjoy what about you I'm thinking (laughs) I'm thinking baby baby shower food like I know I mean meatballs Right, that's what I was just about to say. I know I've been to, I went to your, your baby shower, but I mean, in Kentucky, you for sure gonna get the meatballs, the chicken, the queso. Because I told them no meatballs, that's why. And I told them none to <laughs> all of this stuff. I already made a list. I said, do not have these foods. <laughs> that's the best <laughs> part. That's the best part. That's what I kept saying. We have to have it. I was like, no, no. Girl, yes. Yeah. So like <laughs> that right there is gonna make you, you're gonna feel real full. It's delicious. It's tasty. And I mean, usually everybody eats something, even if you're, you know, I'm trying to think of like the vegan and vegetarian folks. But I mean, um, they, they, they don't they, go to baby showers. I don't know why. The vegan head. and vegetarian <laughs> folks. <laughs> yeah, it's like they don't go. <laughs> I'm sure they do but um I guess they gotta eat you know the other things I'm over here because I'm over here thinking like baby shower food for sure is not like especially for the vegans like the cheese like you're going like it's that's a little hard yeah, it's not friendly yeah no it's not but it feels good what about you Dr. Kelly I think I like like um Super Bowl foods so like mm. French fries, the appetizers, the dips, like all like all the seven layer salads, all of like the picnic, you know, cookout type food. That's my favorite food to eat with people. I think it just tastes good and makes everybody feel good. And people usually are really happy when that kind of food is being eaten. So that's my that's my go to. Now I want some chicken wings. Mm. <laughs> right? True. Potato salad, baked beans. That's the that's yeah. the stuff. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and introduce our guest. So today we have Dr. Kelly Ruglis. Um, she is a licensed clinical psychologist and certified eating disorder specialist. She believes that every woman has the potential and power to be a positive force of change in her personal life, workplace 
and community, helping women achieve this potential and power. Dr. Ruggles' passion is Dr. Ruggles' passion. Dr. Ruggles uses several therapeutic modalities to help her clients reach their goals. They include motivational interviewing, cognitive behavioral therapy, and dialectical behavioral therapy. As the former primary therapist in the outpatient clinic for feeding and eating disorder at UCLA and as founding psychologist, Dr. Ruggles is well-versed in using CBTE, a specific form of CBT from the treatment of disorders and family-based therapy, a specific treatment geared towards adolescents and young adults with a strong network of support. So welcome Dr. Kelly Ruggles. Thank you for having me. Of course. So today, you all, if you haven't noticed, we are going to talk about eating disorders. Um, so before we really dive into it even more, uh, anorexia and bulimia, I feel like you hear about those a lot. And so we just want to start off with starting off with sharing the difference between those. Sure. So the difference between anorexia and bulimia is pretty straightforward. Um, both of them are under the umbrella of eating disorders because they both impact how you feed yourself. Um, but anorexia primarily impacts people by um, making it hard for them to feed themselves enough food, right? So it's usually a lot of restriction, whether that's skipping meals or counting calories and making sure you don't get a lot of calories um, or you know smaller portion sizes or cutting out food groups altogether, like no sugar, right? Uh, anorexia is really primarily about people who restrict the food that they eat, which ultimately creates a situation where the body's just not getting enough nutrition and you end up losing a lot of weight. Bulimia is a little bit different. So um, with bulimia, the focus is more on the person might still eat quite a bit. In fact, they, they tend to have binge eating periods of time where they're eating a lot of food in a short period of time. But what they do to deal with that is they find some way to get rid of it. Technically, we call it a purge. Um, and I think most people associate it with vomiting, like you eat a whole bunch and then you vomit the food up. But it, it's not just vomiting that uh, you have to use. You can use any behavior that will get rid of food. So you can use laxatives, um, you can use diuretics, and you can even use exercise in order to purge. So the person that says, oh my gosh, I just ate this donut. I better make sure I hit the gym later. That's a bulimic relationship with food where you eat something and then you look for a way to get rid of the calories. So that's the main difference. There can be people with anorexia that do binge and purge. But again, the focus on, ex on anorexia is that there still has to be a really big influence of, of restriction. So if there's no restriction at all or, or really low levels of restriction, then you fall under the category of bulimia. If there's a lot of restriction, then you always fall under the category of anorexia. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, no, like I think for sure, especially when it comes to bulimia, you're right. People, you know, we tend to think only when you're vomiting, but it's like other ways to try to get rid of the food. Um, I know this is a little bit off the questions, but because I'm, I'm thinking there, these are the two top, eating disorders people usually talk about. In, in your opinion, would you say that there are other ones that are more prominent in folks? Or would you say these are really like the top two? I would say the one that's probably that occurs the most is actually binge eating disorder. It probably occurs with more frequency than either anorexia or bulimia. 
but it's, I would say it's probably a newer one that they added to the list. Binge eating was always um, included in like bulimia and it was included as its own separate thing. But when they did the last sort of revision of the, the way that we diagnose, binge eating disorder became its own. And that one really is probably the most common. And that just includes somebody who eats a large amount of food in a small period of time, but there isn't any restriction and there isn't any efforts to get rid of it. There's no throwing up, there's no exercising. It's just these recurrent episodes of eating large amounts of food in a small period of time and feeling really out of control. So that one is probably the most common one. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I think that's really important to highlight what were our blind spots, what we're not really, and I'm, I mean, just hearing binge eating disorder right now, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of folks are like spinning their own wheels just because, mm-hmm. you know, um, a lot of us do binge eat, um, but so yeah. I'm curious if um, where is the eating disorder kind of stands out in particular for black women that you've seen where it's like, this just keeps reoccurring that you're seeing them in particular um, identifying with this disorder. I believe, so it's interesting, eating disorders impact everybody of every race. Um, Mm -hmm. Most often, I think Black women assume that we don't have eating disorders. I think we sort of assume that that's for white people. That's not not our thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But we're impacted by all of them. Um, We're not impacted at the, in the same rates, right? So I think uh, white women probably still experience anorexia more than black women do but when black women do have anorexia it's often more severe and takes Mm. a lot longer to recover from um so it's even if we don't get it as often when we get it it's really hard on us but when it comes to some of the other ones uh, binge eating disorder in particular we experience at the exact same rates as white women if not a little bit more Mm -hmm. and then for bulimia in terms of like adolescence, Latino and Black adolescents are more likely to have the symptoms of bulimia than white teenagers. We're actually 50% more likely to experience the symptoms of bulimia than white teenagers. But I think culturally, we don't talk about it in the same way. We don't identify eating issues as mental health conditions, we sort of identify them as like personality quirks. Like, oh, you know, Mm. so-and-so, she just likes to eat. Oh, you know, so-and-so, she's real picky. Oh, you know, you know, we tend to just say, oh, that's just her instead of seeing it as an actual mental health condition. Mm. Okay. So I'm curious what sparked your interest in even becoming an eating disorder therapist in particular? So my interest wasn't actually sparked in the traditional way that people normally talk about it. Like, oh, you know, I had an eating disorder and that's why I did it. Or, oh, I had a family member. Honestly, when I first got into being a a psychologist, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And in fact, I was like, one thing I will not be doing is eating disorders. I don't know why. I just felt like, oh, I don't want to do that. Um, But I think it was because I didn't really understand what eating disorders actually were, what they look like, how you treat them. Uh, But I got my experience um, through different internship positions, you know, during my training to become a psychologist, you go through certain rotations that you don't get to choose. And a few of those were eating disorders, which are the disorders that you see in little kids. So it's little kids that have extreme pickiness, right, to the point where they're not growing correctly. 
um, that was my first introduction into the world of eating disorders. And then each um, job that I had following had something to do with eating disorders. And so it forced me to sort of learn about it, understand it. And then when I really got into it, I realized that eating disorders are a social justice issue. And so as a black woman, it really felt, I felt at home in the eating disorder work because it was all about um, breaking down diet culture, understanding how diet culture is often like rooted in racism, recognizing that food deserts and access to food and, and your socioeconomic status had a big impact and how you relate to food. And so it just felt like the perfect mix of mental health, social justice, and physical health all in one. And so once I, you know, got experience in what it was and, and how it really is a social justice issue. It just felt perfect for me. Mm, that's very unique. That's cool to hear mm -hmm. that. Um, why do you feel, because we already kind of started talking about Black women and eating disorders. So I want to pick up on asking, why do you feel that eating disorders are not talked about as much within the Black community? I think eating disorders aren't talked about as much in the Black community for several reasons. I think the first reason is that the research coming from the field of psychology actually for a long time, it said that because black people have a have beauty standards that are more flexible, right? That don't idealize thin bodies, that we like curvy bodies, that we like larger bodies. I think the research assumed that that meant that it protected us from eating disorders. And so because of that research, I think it created a blind spot in the healthcare industry for even assessing Black people for eating disorders. And so I think when you start all the way back in research and then you move into medical providers never assessing it, never diagnosing it, it's, it's easy for Black people to feel like, well, it's not us. I literally don't know anybody who's ever been diagnosed. I've never seen anyone. I've never heard it. And so I think it just became accepted that that's not a thing for Black people. That's a thing for white people. But what Black people don't realize is that I don't think the diagnosis of anorexia, like the actual criteria, fully respects other people's beauty standards, right? Anorexia is based on this idea that it's because you want to be super thin that you have all these eating issues. But I've seen in Black women who don't want to be thin have the exact same eating issues, right? Maybe they just want a really small waist and a flat stomach. They're not trying to be super skinny, but in their quest to get that flat stomach and that small waist, they're doing all the same things that a person with anorexia does, right? But because they're not wanting to be thin, because the label was created for white women, it makes it seem like we don't have it. So I think that's a big reason, well, number one, why we don't think we have it. And then number two, because we think it's a white issue, it creates a lot of shame if you as a black woman are dealing with a white thing. And so people don't wanna talk about that. It feels shameful. It can feel like, do I not like being black? Is there something wrong with me? Like it creates a whole lot of shame and guilt to even imagine having an eating disorder in a world where that's only for white people. And so I think it, it creates a space where people are even more secretive and less willing to actually talk about it and get help. Absolutely, that makes so much sense. Um, going a little bit deeper into this, would you say that there are any barriers that black women in particular face as far 
as when it comes to getting help with these eating disorders? Uh, there are a lot of barriers that Black women face when it comes to getting help. I think they're the same barriers that Black people experience in general in the healthcare system. Um, you know, if you don't have access to good insurance, good luck at being able to afford treatment, most therapists um, are out-of-pocket therapists. They don't, they're not paneled with any insurance companies. Most treatment centers are paneled, but usually only for certain insurances and the ones for people that don't make very much aren't usually covered. Um, and because again, this has been known as a white disorder, even when you get into the treatment centers, you're the only one, right? You're the only person of color, you're the only black person. And that creates a feeling of like, should I be here? You know, sometimes it can be really harmful. Um, the other barriers are that what I was talking about before that physicians don't see it when they see black women, they've done research where they have had physicians look at diary entries of people who are describing eating disorder behavior. And they've asked them to say, okay, what is this person dealing with? And the diary entries are exactly the same. The only difference is the race of the person who's writing it. And they were 40% more likely to diagnose the exact same symptoms in a white person than they were in the black person. Same symptoms, same everything, right? So we're, we're getting missed, we're getting overlooked, we're not being diagnosed with it. And then even when black people are diagnosed and they tell their physicians, they aren't often recommended further treatment. So I think there's several barriers from just getting a diagnosis all the way to being able to afford treatment or find a treatment center that, you know, supports people of color, supports black people, supports non-white people with eating disorders. And that's challenging all the way around. And then I think if you think about therapists, there's very few eating disorder therapists who are black, very, very few. There's even fewer dietitians. So if you're looking for people who look like you to deal with this, it becomes overwhelming. What would be a way for one to even find a therapist that looks like them because I'm only aware of you because um, the private practice I work at, you're one of the speakers. So, and we searched high and low to find an eating disorder therapist for the past two years. So wow. for us to have finally came upon you, just coincidence, it makes me wonder about the people who are looking for a therapist that looks like them, their struggle. It's finding a therapist who specializes in eating disorders, who's black is very hard. And I don't know that there are that many solutions for finding them. I mean, I think the directories that exist now are helpful, like the Ayana therapy, the therapy for black girls, like these directories that sort of allow you to type in what you're looking for are helpful, but they don't quite do it justice. And, you know, I think I purposefully sought my certification as an eating disorder specialist so that I would also show up in directories for professionals, right? So that is given by the International Association for Eating Disorder Professionals. And so because of that, I will show up in that directory. And that's really the only reason why I did it. I didn't have a desire, like I didn't need it there. I was doing the work way before I got that certification, but it was just sort of a way to say, hey, we exist, we're here, we, there are people out there that can do this work, but it is challenging. I will say that there are quite a few organizations who are really working hard to try and change that um, and are cooking up some things to try and educate more black providers 
on eating disorders and how to treat it and trying to create just, you know, bringing people in because there's a really, really big need and there aren't a lot of people and it is really hard to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, share that. absolutely. Yeah. As you were talking about just like the barriers, it, it made me think about in my assessments as a therapist, I ask questions about like, you know, your appetite, right? That's usually what, you know, mental health therapists ask about, but most of my black clients, they laugh and they'll be like eating, I'm doing fine. Like, you know, and then I'll have to ask more questions because like you said, this is becomes like, of course I don't have an issue with eating, but I'll say, okay, well, what does your eating for a day look like? Right. And that gets them to talk more. And sometimes when they start talking, they'll realize like, oh snap, I don't, eat a lot or I eat one big meal a day and so I think sometimes even as therapists even though I don't specialize in eating disorders even doing my due diligence of asking more questions and not assuming that that's the norm for them opening up their eyes too that that's not the norm as well I think it's something that you know we can do too I I completely agree I think that asking about eating disorders should be just as important as asking about suicidal thoughts and thinking. Um, It's something like 9% of Americans are gonna experience an eating disorder in their lifetime, which is like 26 million people. That's a lot of people. And I don't even think it fully reflects all the black people that are experiencing it, but are giving answers, just like you said. They always say, look at me, don't ask me about my food. Look at me, I, I don't have any problem eating, but you can't, I think it brings up another important point that you can't look at someone and tell if they have an eating disorder or not. You can't say that because someone's eating food in front of you, then they don't have an eating disorder or because someone exercises regularly that they don't have an eating disorder. There's no way to look at someone and know what they have or what they don't have. And so absolutely, a lot of clients that I see may not be coming to me for eating disorders, right? I work with new moms, I work with professional black women, I work with teenagers, I work with all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. But because of my area of specialty, I always ask about your food, I always ask about your exercise and what's your relationship like with that. And it does bring to people's awareness the fact that, oh, I didn't, oh, that is a thing. Oh, I don't really eat. Oh, I skip a lot of meals or, oh yeah, I'm actually afraid of eating this particular food. And so, Oftentimes, most people have some level of disordered eating, right? This is sort of the world that we live in. Most people have something, and it's just a matter of whether or not you're under enough stress for it to turn into something actually clinical. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, What are some resources that instantly come to mind when you think of uh, those who are suffering from eating disorders that can utilize? So resources that instantly come to mind are things like there's a girl on social media called, most of them are actually social media Mm. therapists and social media based people that do a lot of work, do a lot of um, uh, groups or workshops on just eating disorders in communities of color for black people. And like, this is how you do it. The main three that come to mind are um, Whitney Trotter, RD. She's a black um, dietitian who specializes in eating disorders. There is Alicia McCullough is a therapist who's on social media, specializes in eating disorders and does a lot of wonderful posts on social media. 
Um, and then there's Nalgona Positivity Pride. She's a Latina woman who has a whole entire social media community um, that's all about promoting recovery and how to do it as a person of color. So those are probably the three best resources. Unfortunately, there isn't anything by any of the major eating disorder uh, websites or communities that really offers that much um, when it comes to things being specifically for people of color. So it's, it's rough. It's, it's really hard. That is so interesting when you think about like social media being like this platform, the only, not the only, but the main way you really can get help. And it makes me think about the folks who either are not on social media or who have limited their interactions because of the negative impact of social media. It's like, yeah. it's, it's pretty interesting. Like the, like how it was happening with the, with the resources. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is, social media is one of those things where it's like a double-edged sword, right? There's so mm -hmm. much research that talks about how the more time you spend on it, the worse you feel. And yet it's also the source of important movements like the body positivity movement, which I really feel got most of its traction from social media and yep. being able to, you know, put out different body types and, and force people to sort of desensitize themselves to what larger bodies look like. Um, the, it's called Black and Embodied. That's what Alicia McCullough's social media page is called. Um, but those are really the, the, the main resources that I think that are out there that are consistent, that provide information and workshops and free support groups for people of color or, and Black people that are dealing with eating disorders and body image issues. Thank you. Um, as we wrap up, we always ask our guests if they have any takeaways for our listeners. So it can literally be anything, a takeaway that you want to share. Um, I think the takeaway that I have for your listeners is just that our relationship with food really matters. And it's important to just sort of, you know, slow down and take some time to just look at it right? Look at it a little bit more critically, look at it with new eyes and see what you can see, right? I don't really, yes, I do believe that because we have a huge diet culture society where everything is about losing weight and being fit and don't eat this. And there's a new food every week. That's the new popular food. It's easy to get sort of wrapped up in it and think that everything's fine. But I would just encourage your listeners to slow down for a second and really take some time to look at what their relationship with food is like. Do they eat when they're hungry or do they ignore that cue? Do they keep eating when they're full? Like I, I would encourage your listeners to slow down, spend some time with the relationship with food and see what comes up. Nice, thank you for that. All right, thank you so much. Let me go ahead. You're welcome. Yeah, Dr. Kelly's amazing. Like. Uh -huh. I yeah, like, I mean, not even just through her bio, but just like speaking to her, you can just like, you know, you can, she got one of those types of energies where you like, yeah, she's, she's pretty cool. Um, I love to have her as a therapist. Me too. Like, <laughs> in general, because it's just like so calming, like, she's so chill. I like yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, you get that feeling. Um, so we hope y'all enjoy this episode and doing like some reflections. I was thinking about how we had um, the guest on the episode. Um, what not was all black girls know how to eat. 
Yes. And it made me think uh, of Armstrong. I can't believe her first name. Stephanie? Yes, Stephanie, Stephanie Stephanie. And her episode was really well, really good as well. And like she gave us that really personal side to it. And it's mm-hmm. this is kind of like the the more like the, the statistics, the research, the like why come we don't talk about it type of stuff. And so I'm I'm glad that we got both sides of it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's even so much more that we can talk about within like these eating disorders, but you know, we're starting to talk about it. Um and yeah what about you Myra? what was your reflections for this episode I agree um with the Stephanie part I'm happy that we did have her so it's like we need to have her come back on I can pick her brain all day uh but I don't know it's kind of sad to me that you know it took us two years to find uh Kelly and it's only a coincidence that we found her and it makes me think about those folks that need the support like I don't know my heart kind of hurts for them because eating disorder is a specialty not all therapists can see those folks so even think my clients I've had with eating disorders I had to connect them with other therapists and how that was so hard so I don't know it's kind of sad yeah I'm also thinking about what we can do as therapists to at least get some better general information of how to help folks who have eating disorders or who are suffering or who are questioning just because I feel like we don't have enough information as well and so maybe we are not fully certified but I feel like there's probably some more we can do too mm-hmm. um like I wonder and I doubt it if that's like that should probably be for sure one of the CEUs of like every year like the eating like that it should, should. Be, it really um, should because what happens like you said when the, like we when we can't link them for two years what do what do they do do they do, 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 do them and their therapists just don't talk about the eating disorder and talk about everything surrounding it like and then even thinking they don't want to connect with well not saying I don't want to speak for everyone but when you build a relationship let's say that we've been working with somebody for like nine months and then we find out they have the eating disorder you know how hard it is to connect with another therapist after you just told this person for nine months everything now you kind of got to start over that's tough even to do a warm handoff you still have to share stuff that is so true that's true yeah yeah I think um yeah, I know I, I'm reflecting. I'm like, I, I, me personally, I want to figure out how I can support my clients a little bit better with who even, even if they don't have like a complete diagnosis for an eating disorder. Like she said, every we all have some type of deficit or some type of poor relationship with food, right? Just because we live in a culture where, you know, I mean, food is, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's not the healthiest. So yeah, yeah. I want to do more. Yeah, I want to suggest a podcast because it's interesting because I've always thought people, a lot of people have, you know, poor relationships with food, especially like a lot of people in my life. So I'm always very observant of it. Um, and so what I started doing, I started listening to this podcast called Food Heaven Podcast. Two women, one is from Dominican Republic. I'm not sure where the other lady is from, but they talk about like culture and food. They talk about, you know, different impacts of food in our life. And so I found that to be very helpful for myself because I'm always thinking about like family members and stuff like that and their relationships with food. Um, so I highly suggest that podcast. It's really interesting, really good. It's a dietitian and I believe a nutritionist. I they both might be dietitians. Either way, it's really good. They have really good information on there. Yeah. Okay. Well, we hope that you all enjoy this episode and we hope that, you know, at least start, it makes you start thinking about your relationship with food and we are looking forward to seeing you all next Monday. 
So y'all, we have to shout out our friends over at Fiverr. We are officially a Fiverr affiliate and I love Fiverr because you can literally go to them for any type of project you might want to work on, whether it be if you need a new logo, you need help with the resume, you need help with social media, they help you over there. So go ahead and check out our friends over at Fiverr. That's 5-E-R-R. So five with two R's at the end. So go ahead and check them out with the link in our bio and tell them that we sent you.